this a few weeks ago. I feel like I'm in the throne room right now because of the echo. Anybody else? <laughs> hopefully, <clears throat> hopefully it's more powerful than that, but anyway. So no, we were having a conversation and he was talking to me a little bit about his heart to give words of the Lord, right? He's like, I wanna carry, this is kind of my summary interpretation of it, but tell me if I'm wrong, I wanna carry the word of God. Is that right? It's like, I want to give words of wisdom uh, to the people of God, from God. And I just think that's such a powerful thing. I wanted to start this morning. There's several things that have just been running through my heart for the last couple of days, couple of weeks, really. And um, I'm going to try my best to connect my thoughts. Uh, There were several thoughts, even just this morning, the Lord was just speaking to me. Uh, even just during worship, I was like, Lord, I have no idea how to articulate all that. So, but first, before I try to get into some of that, I really felt like the Lord wanted to remind us that he has a plan for the youth of this generation. Uh, I wanted to give you a little bit of a testimony, uh, just kind of on the back of last week, when uh, Jeremy Buchanan spoke about encountering God and how that a lot of times in life, we don't really see the transformation that we're seeking until we've had a real true um, encounter with God, an experience with God, something that it could just say, you know what, this isn't just uh, academic knowledge. Something has actually dropped down on me from heaven to earth, and significantly, my life has changed. I don't even know exactly how to articulate it. I remember the first time I could say for certain, it was probably not the first time he spoke, but it was probably the first time my ears were unclogged enough to hear, but I can remember the first time for certain that I heard God's voice in my life. I went to a friend of mine and I said, I don't know how to explain this to you. I'm not even trying to live for God. In fact, I'm like Jonah, trying to get as far away from the call of God as I possibly can, right? That's where I was at in 2006. And I went to this friend of mine and I said, listen, I don't know how to explain this. It wasn't like outside of me. It was like inside of me. I was in my car and suddenly it was like in me, I heard a voice speaking to me, talking to me about my future, about my identity, and also giving me like fatherly instruction and calling me by my name. My name I, you guys know me, I go by Chuck, but this voice speaking from the inside of me said, Charles. And I was probably 21 at the time, and you guys know how, how um, important that time of a young man's life is to have somebody call him by his name. More importantly, the father of all fathers speaking out from beyond the veil, speaking to me, awakening me to a heavenly world that my little drunken and intoxicated life was not ready for. And he called me by name, 21 years old. He said, Charles, and he spoke destiny over me. He said, you're gonna have a family. I'm gonna give you a son. Little did I know he'd give me five. He began to speak over me. I went into an entire probably three years of like rehabilitation. It was like spiritual detox and encounter. Um, 
my family, my mom and dad are here today. They can attest to the, the reality, the transformative shift in my life in 2007, February, when God broke through into my life. I had known the Lord since I was a little boy, but I did not know him in this way that, in fact, he can break in to my world, break into my heart, speak to me, awaken me, and call me by name. So here I was, I was in a T-top Camaro, and the Lord calls me by name, and I can't do anything but cry. That just continued, what it did was it set about a sequence, a sequence of events in my life that just, just made me and gave me such incredible hunger. I didn't know how to articulate what I was feeling. Like the song today, she, she sang it and she said, God, your presence is heaven to me. I didn't even know why I wanted it so badly. I'd previously been so addicted to the world, addicted to drugs, alcohol, girls, chasing after girls, trying to fill my soul with everything I possibly could. But suddenly, an, an, a different additive had been uh, initiated in my life, and I became addicted to something way more intoxicating than alcohol, drugs, and girl, and seeking after kind of like the, the rock star life that I really kind of wanted to live. I really didn't know what I wanted to be, but what I realized was in this moment, I didn't know. It was like identity, purpose, challenge, fire. I had just been awakened to just there's more than what I'm living for right now, and it happened in this like thunderous whisper that God had spoken to me in my heart in the car. And I'm leaving this person's house, and he's challenging me, calling me to repentance, saying, Chuck, I need you to stop doing some of the things you're doing right now. And I didn't immediately change. I didn't immediately transition after that. It was about three months um, before I finally surrendered. There was another part in the song, one of the songs today. Fill me up, God. We want to be filled with you. We want your Holy Spirit to fill us. But I can tell you, I was at a place in my life, there was too much already filling me. I needed to be poured out so that he could fill me with his spirit. So that for that three-month sequence, that, that time in my life, there was this kind of like, yeah, Chuck, I, I want to use you. I want to speak to you. I want to I awaken you to a, a world beyond your world. But you're still wanting to, there's a stubbornness in you. God bless him. He put it there, sort of. <laughs> he did. He made me that way. But it was this kind of like, you know what I'm saying? It was like a gift of God. I'm like an X-man, right? I've, I've got these like supernatural gifts that he's given me, but I'm also immature and in the flesh. And then it's like, I don't know how to control this, God. I'm using it in the counterfeit. And the Lord wants to use it for his purposes. Here I am. I have this like godly stubbornness. He set my face like flint, but I am stubborn against God. And he's like, Chuck, I need that to get poured out. I need to empty you of you. That's a good word. So we want to cry out, God, fill us up. But he wants to bring us through this process. And some of us, like Gretchen said, we're in a season right now of rain and here's the thing, when you're in a season of rain, it's probably because it's also a season of hardness. And he's sending the rain to break up the fallowed ground. How many of you guys know, any, anyone in agriculture, 
that if you go out gardening, if you go out doing uh, any kind of agricultural labor, if there's no rain, the ground is dry and hard. But when the rain comes, the work, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. There's something about the rain that when he sends it, it gives us the capacity to, like John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. If I want to be filled up, I got to be willing to be poured out. And that's where I was. I remember being on a, uh, in my bedroom in an apartment during these days. It was right before, uh, actually, I ended up moving back in with my family. But right before that, I was living in this apartment. I was really just like the, the roommate that sleeps on the couch. It was really pathetic. Like if it was a, if it was a movie, if you'd watch this movie, I was like, uh, I'm going to try to keep it PG, but I was like the guy who is on certain substances who's just like sleeping on the couch. You know what I mean? Like I don't even have my own room in this story, you know? <laughs> uh, and, and so, but like, again, God encounters me, my life changes, but I'm still living there in that situation. And I remember one day my, my roommates being gone, and like I said, everything's changed. I went from being, you know, so hungry for the things of this world to, to realizing how much I was starving for God. And man, that just initiated in me this desire for, again, what we kind of use the term encounter, but really all encounter is is just relationship with Jesus, but the thing is that Jesus is a wildfire. <laughs> and when you're a young man and you taste that fire, suddenly I'm like, okay, God. So I remember being in this place. It was a really pivotal point in my life. And I could feel a little bit of that stubbornness, kind of like, like I don't really know. I, yeah, I kind of still want to do it my way, but I've, God, I know my way. I'm, I'm, at this point, I'm, I'm not too smart, but I'm smart enough to know my way doesn't work. My way has actually gotten me here where everything around me is collapsing. So I remember laying on my bed, or it wasn't even my bed, right? I didn't have one. Um, I remember laying on this bed in my, in my roommate's room. Josh Karadman, uh, it was his room. We lived together during this time of our life. And um, I remember just laying back, throwing my hands up and just bawling my eyes out just being made aware of my need. How many of you guys have ever been to Alcoholics Anonymous? You go into something like that and the, the primary objective of everyone in the room, people who are either in recovery or having been in recovery for a long time, their prime objective is to wake you up to your need. It's offensive. I dare you to go to one. I'm serious. If you've never drank a bit of alcohol in your life, I dare you to go to one. You'll be surrounded by a room of broken people who are going to sit there and say, you don't get it. You're a sinner. You have need. And you're like, no, man, like I've never even tasted it. He's like, yeah, come on. That's what I used to say. It's offensive. But here's the thing. They've tasted a freedom a little bit. They don't even know how to articulate it perfectly. But they're going like, look, dude, I get it. I've said the same stuff. I've made the same excuses. But if you knew what I knew, you'd come back with me next week. Here, take this token. You know what I mean? And they're, they're offensively forward with it. I'm like, dude, you need to back off a little bit. Like, hey, don't you know that that's a little bit pushy? And he's like, bro, I was like on this corner just like waiting for my next fix just two weeks ago. And this saved my life. Guys, we have a message 
that is more real than that, and we're worried about being pushy. We need to be aware, we need to wake up to what this gospel is. It is not simply a message, it is a message to turn from our sins, but the idea is that we're turning from dung. We are turning from literally dung, and he's giving us gold. I remember when people would ask me, Chuck, like, what was, it, what was it like? I was like, I don't know. I knew, like, my life was in a balance. On one side, there was just, <laughs> I'm trying to still keep it appropriate, uh, fecal matter. <laughs> and the other side, like, 24-karat bars of gold. I don't know. Which one do you want to choose? I'm going, this is an easy question. But I didn't see it because what it took was, like Jeremy said last week, it took encounter. Now, here's the other thing. Encounter is not enough to keep you. Encounter is not enough to keep you. I know many of my friends, myself included, I've had several encounters in my life, and I've been in seasons where I I went back. Not necessarily to the same sins, but I, I ran and I still went back to trying to do it my way. Romans 8 says, walk not according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. And there's this thing where, gosh, God, I really need to be poured out so that you can fill me up. Because Psalm 127 says, um, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen keep awake in vain. Lord, I want to be awake, but I don't want to be doing it in vanity, trying to keep it and do it my way. God, it's got to be your way. I got to live this life in surrender 24-7, 365. So this this thing happens where, gosh, I get awakened to God. He sends me in, in, it seemed like daily, but and I don't really want to focus on this because I know like in in the charismatic world that we kind of live in, when we talk about encounter, everything kind of becomes encounter for encounter's sake. And You know what that's called? That's a fix. Jesus isn't a drug. He's better than drugs because he's a person and it's a relationship. I don't want just a Jesus fix. I want to live with him daily in communion with him. The best thing about heaven is not going to be that there's mansions. It's not going to be that there's angels flying around, um, seraphim with six wings and eyes all around. The best thing about heaven isn't going to simply be that all of our suffering is removed, which it will be. Every tear from our eye. I mean, seriously, get a picture of this. Do you know there will, no, there will be no, like you'll, you can be driving down a road in heaven. You're never going to see another like dead animal on the side of the road. There's no death in heaven. You'll never see a tree wilt and fade there's no death in heaven we have to get a picture of what eternity is going to be like so that we can realize that when we are in this place of encounter when we're looking to encounter it's not just simply okay hey encounter for encounter's sake heaven what's going to make heaven heaven is that jesus is there The only reason the burning bush was really cool is because the voice of Yahweh was emanating from it. (laughs) Okay? The tree of life is powerful, not because it is a tree. It's powerful because it's literally emanating Yahweh. (laughs) Okay, so 
this is unto something, all right? So I, I ended up in this place several, it was like weeks of visions and dreams. I remember at times being like, God, turn this off. Like, I don't, I don't, I felt like uh, Cyclops. How many of you guys know Cyclops? He wears the, the glasses, right? And I was like, Lord, I need like some glasses or something because my, my, my vision, I'm like got laser beams shooting out all over the place and I'm going to hurt someone with this because I'm not, I don't have the character or the maturity yet to carry it. And I remember specifically, it was like he turned the faucet down. And then I was like, wait a second, no, turn it back on. I don't want to live without this. <laughs> but, but encounter is not encounter for encounter's sake. The first, the first primary objective of encounter is knowing God. And, and that's only going to be valuable to you to the degree that you encounter him. Because I can say all day long, right, Jeremy, like we talked about last week, hey, man, knowing God is the best. But if you just hit it in your knower, you're like, okay, great. But it has to go. This is why the first commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because I don't just want to know him with my knower. My knower is great. It's in there. It makes the list. Love him with all of my mind. But I need to get my whole being saturated with this knowledge, right? There's a knowledge that puffs up, the Bible says, Right? But then there's this, this idea of the knowledge of the love of God, where my whole life becomes, trans, as Brad said several weeks, transfixed to become transformed. I'm daily being made in his image. Encounter is not just encounter for the sake of encounter. The encounter is unto something. And the thing it's unto is love. It is love of God. Okay, being awakened to who God is and what his world Again, he gets to define reality. He kind of made it. What his world is like. Like many of us in this room, we're dealing with suffering, trial, circumstances, relational issues, things of these nature. But if we were awakened to the world of God, if we were awakened to the kingdom, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom. And everything else will be added to you. Not, hey, seek first the kingdom so that everything else will be added to you. It's like this. Even if you never saw a miracle. Even if you never saw him walk on water. Even if you never had the encounter, would you still live it and believe it and go after him as if it would? I like this one, uh, one man. His name is Dr. Michael Brown. He said, I don't believe in miracles because I see miracles. I believe in miracles because the Bible says it. Yes. I don't believe in encounter, in, in encounter, experience with God. I don't believe in that simply because some person from a pulpit tells me about his fanciful encounter. Okay, even, even the enemy can encounter someone. I'm not impressed with encounter. What I'm impressed with is when that encounter transforms a heart into the image of Christ. Right? Come on, somebody. Because yeah. that's, that's like what it's unto. Okay? I mean, I love it. So all of that to say is I had an encounter in about 2000. And so again, I had this whole life of experience with God. And uh, often I just ended up in visions and dreams and deep, like this is early on. I had no idea. Like I didn't have language for much of this stuff. And 
We had a, a gentleman by the name of David Thomas come here several. Raise your hand if you were here when David Thomas was here. He spoke on travailing prayer and how travailing prayer is what typically precedes revival. And we, we, the word travail is a, a pregnancy term for what a woman is going through in birth pains. When she's contracting, when the pressure is pushing on that inward place that something from the secret place comes out into the world, right? So I remember being 21 years old, 2007 in my parents' basement, and I would just be worshiping God. Lord, your presence is like heaven to me. Next thing I know, I'm in the dirt. If there were dirt, I'm in the carpet, and I'm weeping and just groaning. I'd be in the car driving all around Lexington, and I'd be praying over uh, Lexington, and I'd say, God, raise up a church with your heart in Lexington. And I would end up in groans too deep for words. I didn't have a language for this. Now I do, <laughs> praise the Lord. But I realized this is, this is what Elijah experienced in the book of Kings when he got into what was like a birthing position and he was groaning. The Bible says that he would pray. He prayed seven times for rain to come. He finally saw a cloud the size of a man's hand and he, he stopped praying because it was done. He kept praying. He went back and he's groaning. And next thing we know, rain comes. And then a supernatural power happens and he's able to run and catch up to the chariots and the story continues. But I remember in my life being um, first introduced to this gift of the spirit that I didn't know that I had. And let me tell you, intercession is not first about petitioning God to solve your problems. Intercession is about getting into the heart of God and feeling what he feels. Jesus weeps for broken people. I had a vision. I was at a one thing conference in Kansas City. And I was in prayer and this, kind, this type of groaning prayer came over me. I just couldn't control it, just sobbing in prayer. I think we were, we were maybe praying for, I, 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 sometimes it runs together because this was happening. Like, again, for me, it was like, I think this is kind of how spiritual gifts happen. You know, it's kind of like the honeymoon phase. And it just is like this, just comes sweeping in. And I'm like, Lord, this is incredible. This is never ending. And then suddenly it kind of, kind of evens out a little bit. And the Lord's like, okay, now it's time to grow in character to the degree that you have the gift, you know? But I remember early on, it was just like this sweeping, rushing into vision. So sometimes they blur together, but uh, it, two different times at this one thing conference, I had two visions that marked my life. And one was of a person in my life that I really loved and cared for, but I knew that they were really broken and they weren't living for the Lord. And I saw Jesus in heaven. It was, he was sitting down on his knees, Weeping, He had a prayer shawl over his head. I didn't even know what that was at the time. Uh, a talif, right? I didn't even know. I didn't have a clue. I didn't know any of that stuff. And I saw him. He had this white garment over his head with blue, and it had tassels on the end of it. And he was weeping, and there was like this, I don't know, like a cone. I don't know how to explain it. It was like heaven and earth had been connected by the tears of God. And here's Jesus, and I saw the, my friend uh, laying on a couch. And here's what I got out of this. is like, Chuck, I got your friend. I'm weeping over that person. Feel what I feel. Enter into my suffering. Enter into the way I feel about this person. I care for this person more than you care for this person. So several of these things happened. One other time at a, at a similar uh, event, and this is where I'm going to tie this back into why I had Lewis come up. Um, 
I was at a, a, I think it was again another One Thing conference. Lou Engel had just, uh, actually he was about to speak a message or had just finished speaking a message um, about raising up um, Nazarites, raising up young people of God who would give their early days, their youth, they would give their youth. He said from age 12 to 21, he, calling 12-year-olds to give their life wholeheartedly over to God. Consecrated ones, those who had set their youth, set their early days aside. I could be going to school and wasting my day doing X, Y, and Z, chasing after parties and, you know, significance and feeling like the cool popular kid. But God is calling an army of young ones to say, I'll set that aside, even good elements of that, and I'll go hard after God. He's giving this message, and here I am. I'm 21, and I see, I look around me, I see all these 12-year-olds. There was a young kid standing behind me. He had long blonde hair saying, yes, if you know the story of the Nazarites, I mean, I'm kind of one to talk here, but they had long, they had long hair. They would grow their hair as a, as a significant reminder saying, God, my whole life source is yours. Let it never end. Right? That was the whole idea behind the Nazarites. They'd make a special vow to God in Numbers chapter 6. They were like, it was almost like a priestly vow. Even though they weren't of the tribe of Levi, they would get access into this kind of realm of priesthood by making this special vow to the Lord. And here's Lou Engel calling young ones to say, hey, you're called to be priests, not just spend your life on Xbox, but you're called to a greater encounter. You think that the, the graphics card in that game is visionary wait until you see like Ezekiel beyond the veil and you get a picture of the four living creatures who've got eyes all over six wings and they're prophesying like thunder like a thunderous army coming from the chariot and throne of God if you don't so I'm listening to this and I'm broken because I see young ones 12, 13, 14, thousands of them stand up across this entire stadium, Bartle Hall. There's probably 10 to 20,000 people there. But I look at this young kid. He looks like a skater punk. He's got long hair down to his shoulder. He's got an Element skateboarding t-shirt on. And he's just weeping under the power and presence of God. And there's a song playing. It's by Laura Hackett. And she's, the song goes like this. The devil is raging. I don't want to be sleeping. Okay, the devil is raging. I don't want to be sleeping. And it goes on talking about how the kingdom is coming and Jesus is coming and he's coming to raise up this army. And every time this song would happen, I would hear in between that the Lord spoke to my heart. It was like some people have called it like the inward audible voice of God. It's like thunder shouting on the inside of you. My whole body is shaking and I hear, I see this young man and I hear God go, they are but young ones. Who will lead them? They don't know what they're going to be getting into. Who will raise them up? And God is shaking me saying, Chuck, do it. Raise them up. Call them forward. Awaken them. Break them out of their slumber and give them a purpose. Give them a vision and show them. And here I am, 22 years old, like just getting awakened myself. And here's, here's what I'm saying. Encounter is unto something. If I turn from that experience and I go, man, that was really great. God, whoo, loved those goosebumps. Thank you, Jesus. I'm it's all about relationship. God wants us to connect to him in relationship in those moments so that we can connect everyone else 
So I want to remind us that God is doing something in the earth right now. I know many of us are aware and I know that I don't pretend to be like <laughs> that awakened. <laughs> That's the point, right? Because like I'm going, Lord, I'm, I'm still sleeping in a lot of ways. I, I need you guys to help me wake up. <laughs> but I just, Lewis, man, dude, God wants you to carry his word, bro. Seriously. Like he wants us to have encounter. And, and part of the story is he's, it's, he's not waiting on the adults. In fact, a lot of the adults have been waiting around. And the kids are waiting on the adults. Amen? So, uh, I, I really, this morning, I kind of wanted to go into Ezekiel. I don't know if I will ever get to like an actual text this morning. Um, but in Ezekiel, if you guys are familiar with the prophets, I kind of wanted to give you a little bit of a view of the prophetic ministry, if I could. Um, I, I really believe, Jeremy was just right on the money last week that the Lord wants to stir us up. And this happens in several ways. Uh, sometimes it, it's, a, it's a stirring of hope. Other times it's a stirring of agitation. Will you get agitated enough to turn to him? Where like the prodigal son, I will go encounter the father. It would be better for me to go back to him rather to live in this pigsty like I was living. So there's several different ways that this can happen in each of our individual stories. But what the Lord wants to do is he wants to individually and collectively stir us up for encounter, but not for encounter, for encounter's sake. The primary objective, it's a very simple one. It's the first commandment, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Encounter, the first primary objective of God in encounter is first love for us to be awakened to love, okay? The second primary objective is very easy as well. It's the second, it's the second part of the second commandment. The, 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 the first commandment, the greatest commandment is like this, love God, right? And the, the second or the next is, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's very simple. It's a very simple reality. But do you know that you can't do that in your own strength? That's what Jeremy's point last week was. We cannot do that if we could, we wouldn't have stories like Cain and Abel. We're really good at killing each other in our own strength. In fact, that's, if you don't believe that, I would argue that you need to look further into the history of just humanity, or at least the last, uh, in the 20th century, literally, a lot of uh, people today, scholars and many people believe, not biblical scholars necessarily, but just kind of uh, people in academia, they look at certain statistic points and they say, well, look, crime is going down, murder is going down, while ignoring the reality that the 20th century was the bloodiest century in the, in, in the, in the history of recorded history. More people died under communism and Nazism in the 20th century than any other uh, time in our world. Humans, apart from Christ, collapse upon themselves. That's what we do. We need God to love God, and we need God to love one another. We have to be poured out. Where do we do that at? The, the good news is that there's this place where love was poured out. Right, Chris? It's the cross, right? We go to the cross. Listen, if you're in this room and you go, I've never had an encounter, encounter the cross. If you go, I've never had a supernatural vision, a, a dream, I've never had uh, goosebumps in a worship service, but have you encountered the cross? 
Have you encountered this message of love being poured out on the cross while we were yet sinners? He died for us. Have you, have you encountered the, the lack, your own dependence? Have you truly faced up and fessed up to the reality that I can't do this life? That itch, the eternal itch on the inside that says there must be more, I can't get there. Or has it already grown numb? It's like Peter Pan, right? It's like in the movie Hook, he grows up and he has become numb to the reality of childlike faith. He doesn't remember what it was like to believe anymore because he's become an adult. And many of us have become adults, but the Lord wants us to come to him like children and remember the cross. Remember what it's like to remember the joy of our salvation, to come back freshly to this place where we can encounter him and be changed by him. So the second part, again, the first part is love and connection with him. The second part is to, there's a broken world that still needs redemption. Jesus did the work on the cross. I love the the finished work of the cross, but it's a finished and unfolding work. Jesus was not satisfied to do the work without you. So he's he's finished. The Bible says that uh, in Isaiah 55, his word comes down, right? And it will accomplish what he sent it to do. There's never been a word of God that's ever come to the earth that's failed. But there's many that have yet unfolded. And we are living in this season, the book of Hebrews says, that today is the day of salvation. We're still in that day now. And right now, the second part of encounter is so that we can really see what we've been saved, who we've been saved for, and what we've been saved to. So the, the idea there is your purpose is not just for your purpose. Okay, I love it. You should, God is so good. He's like a good father that he, he didn't have to give us all these cool things in heaven like mansions and rewards and crowns and jewels and uh, white stones like it says in Revelation and a new name. But he does that because he knows that we, it, incentivizes, it incentivizes the whole process. I'm hitting baseball with my kids outside yesterday and I say, hey boys, if you hit a line drive, dad will give you a chocolate. Dad, I need to do that. Absolutely not. We're having fun. I'm calling them up. I'm raising them up. I'm giving them vision and a purpose. They're hitting line drives. Boom, boom. Hit a ground ball. Dad, do I get a chocolate for that one? No, you don't get a chocolate for ground balls. Come on. <laughs> anyway, so, but like the idea is that we don't have, he, he wants to do that. He wants to give us these things. And part of uh, having encounter is to awaken you to your purpose. Praise God, when I was awakened to my purpose, it set a fire under me. It was like, oh my gosh, okay. I thought that being a Christian was like about being saved and following the rules, which it is. Praise God. Okay, however, it's also kind of like being enlisted into an army. All right, here we go. Lord, where you send me, I go. Jeremy said it last week. But how many of us are contending with the reality of where we're going? We like Isaiah 6 in the throne room, getting the encounter But we don't like verses 9 through the rest of the chapter because we find out where we're going. Isaiah is not saying, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live amongst the people of unclean lips. He ends up saying, you know what, what, Izzy? I'm going to send you to people who are absolutely, and they're not going to listen. Not only are they not going to listen to you, um, they're, they can't. They, see, in fact, they're, they're deaf and blind, and they're incredibly obstinate and rebellious. 
oh, by the way, you're going to spend your whole ministry in failure. Jesus, the Messiah. So again, we have this kind of modern, charismatic, kind of school of the spirit idea. Every one of us wants to get into like the school of the spirit, right? And like, dude, we want to do this stuff. And it's like, okay, have you really counted the cost? This isn't just because we're not doing the school of the stuff, right? The school of the spirit, just because seeing somebody's knee get healed is cool. Seeing somebody's knee get healed is totally cool. It's totally cool, okay? But I'm saying Jesus is raising up a generation to be a voice in a world of obstinance. And we have to be prepared for that. We need to recognize what we're doing and what it's unto, okay? And mind you, that obstinance in, uh, that the prophets often faced didn't come from the outside nations, did it? It came from their own families, their own friends, within their own communities. Living for God is a cross. Matthew chapter 10 says, if you, you know, to follow me, pick up your cross. Pick up your cross and follow me. This is what it means to follow Jesus. It's being poured out. It's no longer, Paul said in Galatians, I think it's two, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live, I don't live according to the flesh. What is the flesh? My way. Here, real quick, you want kind of like a, a, a Christianese kind of definition. We use all these terms, right? Flesh, spirit, da, da, da. Flesh, here's what flesh is. Me, me, me. My way. That's flesh, right? My life according to my own bodily ability apart from God. Right? Paul says, I don't live according to the flesh anymore. I live according to the son who poured his life out for me. Right? I live it by faith. So the idea of counter is about getting this purpose. It's waking up to this reality, but realizing that the purpose isn't just unto myself. And that's part of the journey. Jesus said, unless a seed goes down to the ground and dies, okay, it can't live. Many of us have been given vision. I guarantee you, I'm not speaking to a room right now. You would, I don't think you'd be at King's Church uh, if you weren't familiar with encounter. I, I know that I'm looking at people who've encountered God in the, their life. Someone in the room might say, well, I've never heard the voice of God. How did you get saved? That person that spoke to you, that person that ministered to you, welcome to encounter. This is the voice of God. We are the body of Christ. It doesn't always have to be, one person said, often we miss encounter or we, we miss um, the supernatural looking for the spectacular. But really, it could just simply look like Lewis praying for me, sign in a wonder of a generation that's going to go hard after God, somebody who wants to be a voice in a generation. So I just want to, like I said, for me, my whole desire this morning was to try to articulate many of the things running through my heart. I have such a, a father's heart. You know, I look at my boys and I think, they're going to be 25, 26 one day. They're going to be living in a world right now with so much uh, tribulation. And they already are. I mean, look around us, guys. We, we, we're in a global catastrophe right now. Welcome to the Bible. <laughs> I mean, seriously, are your ears perking up yet? Because we are significantly placed, purposefully placed, positioned by God as a, uh, a military unit, an espionage type unit behind enemy lines to take back what was stolen. So your encounter for God, your Sunday morning experience is so significant. 
in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says that the day of death is more, he wants it, right? He's like, the day of death is more valuable to me than the day of my birth. And many people read that and they think, well, man, the preacher in Ecclesiastes is such a depressing guy. But the thing is, is that the book of Ecclesiastes ends with this man meeting this judge who the whole earth has lot, is laying in the balance. He sees this one who takes every insignificant moment and says, it's significant. These, these moments are encounter. Every mundane moment is, is, is wrapped up in mystery and majesty. And if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you can experience God in Robert and Jennifer and Lydia in worship. You can experience God in David and Marcy. We are walking in the feet and skin of Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus. Daily, God is desiring for us to encounter like Thomas who put his hands in the side of Jesus. How many of us are willing to get close and truly encounter one another? So the whole thing is he's, he's awakening, 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 awakening us to purpose. He's giving us encounter because here's the idea of encounter, okay? You're, it's an engine, okay? What does an engine need to get going? Somebody. Fuel. It needs fuel, and then what else? Fire. Say it again. Fire. It needs a fire. It needs a spark. Encounter is a spark. Encounter is not the life. It's like a marriage, right? Marriage is beautiful. The, the bridal chamber is a spark. It's not the life. Amen? So let's not treat Jesus like a cheap encounter. Let's treat him like, God, we need this encounter. We want to experience you in the secret, intimate place. But God, we know that that is like fuel that is going to lead us in discipleship and integrity and in character and in maturity so that we can be people of understanding in a world that's shaken because a world needs those people to also have a spark. Amen? All right. So here's what happens. Ezekiel, uh, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, he has these really ecstatic visions. And in these ecstatic visions, he's being literally snatched up, caught up uh, over and over again. It's one of the most uh, overt places in the Bible where the Spirit of God is referenced. Okay? A lot of times in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is a little bit, it's kind of like the Holy Spirit seems to enjoy the background. Kind of likes to push Jesus forward. He's kind of like, you know what, I'll play the background. Holy Spirit seems to be very humble in the way that he does things. Here in Ezekiel's life, though, Ezekiel is in the middle of exile, right? He has just been carted off to Babylon. We got to wrap our minds a little bit about the biblical narrative. So if, you, if we're coming to church on Sunday morning, this is to give you an idea of kind of who I am and, and what my heart is. I burn to connect a generation to the storyline and timeline of what God is doing in their day. Do you realize that you have been born in a specific time for a specific purpose? There's a storyline happening. There's a timeline happening right now. You play what may seem like an insignificant part, but God says it's incredibly significant. And here is this man, the temple it isn't yet destroyed. It is about to be destroyed. Jerusalem is about to be completely sacked. It's already been taken over. There's a, a puppet king that's been in place. And here is Ezekiel. 
It kind of goes on the heels of the, the Isaiah story. Jeremiah had, is kind of a, a contemporary to Ezekiel. And, you know, Jeremiah has been prophesying about this coming wrath and judgment. God is dealing with his house. Isn't that incredible? Listen, I don't know if many of you believe in the fear of the Lord. But the idea of a God who would rather tear the house down than to have a house that's not authentic in love. Do you realize that? That's what he did. Jesus said the same things. It's New Testament. Jesus said, in three days, tear this house down and I'll rebuild it. Because I'd rather have it rebuilt in intimacy and in authenticity and in truth, spirit and truth. I'd rather have it honest than have it in a lie. I'd rather tear down this false kind of infrastructure and build it up. By the way, if it isn't built up on me, it's not built at all. Right? That's Psalm 127. So here we are. This is what Ezekiel and Jeremiah have seen. Now, the good news of all of this story is that God constantly prophesies and talks about a remnant growing up through this. So here's what's happening is the Christians, the church, the Israelites of that day have become very, very kind of mixed. There's this whole mixture thing happening. God takes Ezekiel in several moments. And first, first it's like this whirlwind of like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. He actually, he says, he sees a scroll. God says, eat the scroll. Uh, he eats the scroll and he says, it was like honey to my lips. So he's literally encountering, encountering God in this place. And it's, in, it's like this intoxicating, enlightening honey. It's amazing. It's like, wow, God, you're the best thing ever. And there's like joy, exuberance. Like he, it's good. The chapter continues, he realizes what's happening. He's like, oh, and by the way, um, I have a word for you, and it's a word to a rebellious house, to a rebellious people. And what Ezekiel has to do is he has to encounter God in the place of God's emotions. And then God takes him into another experience. He says, look through this wall. Ezekiel has to dig through this wall in this kind of spiritual experience. And in another place, God picks him up by the hair of his head and he takes him into the temple and he sees him to the temple. And they're doing all these um, uh, debased rituals. It's temple prostitution is what's happening. Is they're, they're actually like thinking that they can mix Asherah. It's actually a different deity, but they're thinking they can mix this kind of female fertil uh, fertilization deity with Yahweh and kind of like get what they want. It's kind of like Hagar, right? And, and Sarah and Abraham and Ishmael. Maybe if we do it our way, God will be faithful. By the way, Babylon's coming anyways. Clearly Yahweh has failed. They haven't listened to the prophet who said, you know, it's not that Yahweh has failed. It's that you've rejected Yahweh. You've turned your back on Yahweh. And now you're, you're basically getting what you asked for. So here's Ezekiel now having to be this prophet in intercession. It's not always, you don't always, when you're in this place of intercession, this is true intimacy. You know, you don't really just, if you really love someone, are you just in it for the good parts? It's like, no, he got the, he tasted this word. I'm going to put my word in you, Ezekiel. It's like honey. Oh, it's so good. But then it says it was like bitterness and sorrow in his soul. Because what he saw is he saw a people that were called to a higher purpose who were literally rebelling. They were cheating on their lover. They were in spiritual adultery. This is, if we could see this, God, is, his heart is breaking. I've called you like my son, like my bride, and you're turning your heart against me. Ezekiel, I need you to see what's happening in my house. 
They're turning to other gods. They're turning to other lovers. They were made for me. I want them. I'm a jealous God. I want to have mercy on them. Ezekiel, listen, I am long-suffering. He said that I am am uh, faithful, enduring in mercy. But Ezekiel, I am also so just. If they continue down this road, they are asking me for something and they're putting me in this position that I never wanted to be in. Ezekiel, didn't you know that it is not my will that even one should perish? And here they are putting God in this, imagine put it as a, being a child, putting your parent in this position. But he's not just a parent, he's literally the parent, he's the cosmic parent of the entire universe. And he's saying, I can't continue to allow this to happen. If I continue to allow this to happen, I am allowing evil to exist in the world. It's not simply that I'm this dad who's offended because my kids broke the rules. It's that I can't allow a world to exist with this happening because it's terrible for you. So I got to do something. Ezekiel, will you come with me? Will you come with me into my house and see the kind of things that are happening? Would you be willing to look, to peer beyond the veil and suffer with me? Open your eyes. Could you imagine? One thing about Ezekiel is Ezekiel is a, a, is a priest. That means he's a Levite. That means he's aware of the Torah. He's very familiar with the law of God. God several times puts him in position in like this intercessory kind of like sign act prophet. He's living out a prophetic word and all the things that he does. And God constantly puts him in positions where he will be unclean, sacri- uh, sacrificially, or excuse me, um, you know what I'm trying to say. He's unclean, ritualistically unclean. Could you imagine, here he is, I think of Job. Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a woman. Oh, what an incredible prayer to pray. Oh, Lord, I make a covenant with my eyes not to look after a woman to lust. And here's Ezekiel, a priest of the Lord in the temple. And he's being brought in and he sees temple prostitution. This type of harlotry, the Bible says. This thing where people are spiritually giving their, not just their spirits, but their bodies over. To another God. And right now we live in a world that is very kind of squeaky clean, right? We, I wasn't even thinking about all the, think about this. We, in 2021, the world was probably the cleanest it's ever been on the outside. How about our hearts? I had a friend, a Rwandan friend of mine. Uh, we were talking, I was asking him questions about his experience in Rwanda. He's a 21-year-old guy. Um, I believe he had a sibling who was killed in the 90s, or at least, uh, I can't remember if he was killed or, or like just maimed by a gunshot. But if you know anything about maybe the, hotel, the movie Hotel Rwanda and the story of the civil war that happened uh, to the Rwandan people. And listen, some of what I'm saying today, like if I could give you a heart, I, I, I kind of want to give you a heart of preparation. It seems to me like Jesus and the apostles are fixated on preparing the church. They're preparing the church for one thing, a time of great trouble and a time of great revival. And here's, here's my heart is I truly believe in my heart of hearts that we are living in a day where God is about to pour out his spirit in, a, in greater measure, it, and I believe that we're going to see awakening. 
but I know that we will not be able to contain it, withstand it, have the foundation necessary to hold it if we do not grow in maturity and, and like Ezekiel, go and see what he saw, building ourselves up in faith and in character. These things that are kind of not the, uh, again, I'm, there's words, I'm trying to keep it G here, things that are not the prettiest, okay? Like the things like, you know, again, we love the kind of cool things, but like those things where it's like, uh, you know, reading my Bible, you know, like, uh, yeah, that, that, something like that, right? So where was I? Somebody catch me up before I, I chase that rabbit. Rwanda. Rwanda. So my friend was in, he was telling me this story. And he, he was telling me about just the, the civil war and the way that the Hutus and the Tutsis, the, the clash that they had. And, and you think about this. The Bible says, Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, that one, he said that in the last days that, that nation would rise up against nation. That word in the Greek is ethnos. Okay? That really means ethnic group against ethnic group. And right now, the church, the church in the world, frankly, we're in the middle of this too. We're really, really good at looking at everyone else's sin. We want justice, don't we? Don't we? Okay? This is exactly where Israel, Israel constantly, uh, you think of the Pharisees, even in Jesus' day, like, oh, well, at least I'm not like this Samaritan, right? He's not dealing with the, the prostitution of his own heart. Like, this is what is happening. And here this friend of mine is telling me this tragic story of these people that, listen, we talk about racism today and how the world wants to redefine what racism was between a black person or a white person or uh, different types of uh, systemic groups, right? You know, you, you, your, your lower class, your marginalized class, your, your gender identity and all these different concepts. And the world is just kind of spinning out of control with all of this stuff. And, I, and me and my, my friend here, we were going and it's like, listen, this was a racism in Rwanda between people of the same color. This is, this is Esau, or this is Esau and Jacob. This is, this is uh, Cain and Abel. They would literally kill another person simply because their nose was either larger or smaller than the other person. And, and here's the amazing thing, just like Gretchen was saying today about this impossible restoration, right? Rwanda went through an incredible restoration, but it was after just incredible bloodshed. And I think God wants to prepare the church, regardless of your eschatology, regardless of your view of the end times or where you think the world is going and when Jesus is coming. Listen, you might not face the great tribulation, but you will face tribulation. Jesus promised this. There's a book called Tortured for Christ by a man named Richard Wormbrand. It's a plea to the Western church from, Roman, from a Romanian man who's been sent into communist prison camps. He's pleading for the church, and you would be shocked. You probably, maybe you wouldn't, you, but you should be shocked to, to understand that the leaders of the church of that day were complicit with the communist party of turning in their own brothers and sisters. So long as they could stay comfortable and clean, so on the outside, things looked so clean to them while they're secretly sending their brothers to prison camp. So I talked to my friend about this kind of the Rwandan genocide and some of these things. And, and I said, listen, you know what's crazy is, is looking on that, is that seems like such obvious and overt evil, right? We, we see that. We think of Hitler. We think of overt evil. Hitler was in office for three years that we, that we think about. The reality is he was often in office for 12. 
We don't think about the, the entire time, right, while he was clean and kind of setting the map and setting the stage and kind of cleaning up politics and he's promising things and frankly coming through on his promises in a lot of ways and doing some of the things that a lot of the church were kind of like, we've been waiting for a guy like this. And then suddenly the, the, the skeletons come out of the closet and the church is behind and there's very few people to stand up and be a voice in their generation. So it was kind of like this sterilized atmosphere. Do you know that Hitler actually literally cleaned up the whole area? He literally sterilized it. Hitler himself took three baths a day. He was a clean freak. He sterilized warehouses. He cleaned out warehouses. He killed the rodents and pests and different things. He literally sterilized the whole country. The same chemical he used to clean out the warehouses was what he used to throw the Jews into um, gas chambers. We live in a world of sterilized evil, but we still expect for the man with a pitchfork and red horns to come around, show himself. He, he is evil and he is cunning. And the Lord, Jesus said to Peter, I don't want you to be caught off guard by the wiles of the evil one. I want you to be prepared. He's going like a lion to and fro throughout the earth. I need a church. I need a people of understanding to count the cost and set their hearts in a place of understanding like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like Esther, who said, if I die, I die. Right? When we encounter God, it's so that we can live in the fire. So I told my friend, I said, listen, you know, that's such overt evil. What about... What about right now, there's 4,500 babies in America that are aborted every day. Right now, we don't know, we're, we have gender confusion. We don't know if we're male or female. We, we think that this is up for debate. We live in this world, but here's the problem. We live in a church age right now that we are very comfortable at calling out the world's sins while in the house of God, we're not dealing with our own cold hearts. Can you hear me? This is for me. This isn't just for, uh, this is for all of us. Jesus said, I'd rather, this is the book of Revelation. I'd rather you be hot or cold. I don't want this Laodicea. If, you, if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we'd understand the, in the book of Revelation, there's this Laodicean church. It's this sleepy church. And Jesus wants to wake her up. So if we want revival... We can't just, listen, radical Christianity isn't the person who jumps the highest and spins the most at the front of the stage. Radical Christianity is the person who is in the secret place, behind the scenes, doing what they're called to do, praying, connecting with him in encounter, getting his heart. Does that make sense? So encounter is unto something. I want to be able to have a heart and encounter to see and understand the times. Do you know that whatever happened in Rwanda didn't happen at the climax? That there was something that built up to, built up to that moment. What happened in Nazi, uh, in Nazi Germany didn't happen in that moment. It built up since, honestly, since around 1917, since the First World War. It grew. And everyone else, if uh, there's a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was ridiculed. Ah, you're just too serious, Dietrich. Calm down. But he was one of the only ones to sound the alarm when Hitler came into power. 
And right now we live in a day, it seems like a lot of people in the world are sounding an alarm in the natural. Saying, hey, there's this political stuff over here. There's these controversies over here. There's wars and rumors of wars. And there's uh, ethnos against ethnos. And all of these different situations that everyone seems to be consumed with. But here's what I believe the Lord is saying. I believe that the Lord is calling us to, to stir us up in encounter. To stir us up in hunger. To revive us in intimacy. And to prepare us for trouble and for the greatest harvest the world has ever known. I truly believe that. But I know that if we are going to walk in that type of revival and power, we have to have the integrity and the maturity and the heart to turn to God and to see what he sees and say what he says. Can I get an amen on that? Listen, I want to tell you where my heart's at. I want to put myself in the story like Elijah or excuse me, like Isaiah, like Jeremy said last week, like Ezekiel. And I want to say Ezekiel, a very similar thing happens um, in Ezekiel chapter 10, as in Isaiah chapter 6. This cherubim, he comes, there's cherub comes and he grabs this, you know, coal off of the altar. He puts it on Isaiah's um, uh, mouth, right? He cleanses his mouth, purifies him. Same thing happens in Ezekiel 10. He brings this coal and it brings uh, purification and cleansing. The Lord gave me a word in 2018. He said, Chuck, if you, if, if you and, and he was speaking of me and I know of King's Church, he's like, if you can bridle your tongue, I'll unbridle my spirit. And that coal, that thing that comes on my mouth and, and says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I, I live amongst it. What is that? All that means is, God, I am fallible. I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. First John says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. God, I, I know that I, I still am dependent on you, that without your spirit, without your atoning blood, that I run towards evil. But I'm so thankful that you are here. You are in my life, that you are transforming me, that you are taking me from glory to glory and faith to faith. Jesus, woe is me in this generation. God, let me not be so quick to point the finger at the sins of the world while your house is crumbling. Let me be one who would give my life to build your house, your way. And I just see, I just believe that God wants to do something in his church where he wants us to to kind of bridle our tongues a little bit and just be like, whoa, I want to make sure that I'm speaking rightly of my brother or sister, that that if I have something critical to say, that mm, maybe I take it right to that person or I just don't say it at all. Maybe I just want to, you know, just be slow to speak and quick to pray. I want to feel what's going on, God, in, in that person's life. How can I pray for that person before I critique that person? You know, Jesus came and he, he took, he said, look, if you even think about murder, if you even hate your brother, you've murdered him. If you, if you think about lust towards a woman, you've, you've committed adultery. The reality is if I even, even think about you critically, it's like, God, I don't even want to think about Gretchen critically. Lord, I want to think about her as you see her. So can we just make kind of like an agreement today towards the church that one, God, we want you to stir us up for encounter. We want you to come and revive us, Lord. We want revival. But Lord, we want to have the integrity to carry it. It's like a building. The deeper you build the foundation, the more you can plant on top of it. Guys, we want to go deep in integrity and character and maturity and wisdom. 
so that when the, when the Spirit pours out, we're like a vessel designed to carry what he's doing. Does it make sense? All right. Can you all pray with me? We can just stand. Worship team, you can come on up. Um, Lord, God, we just love you. God, we thank you for your word. I had a joke before I, I started this morning. I, I was going to come out here. And I was going to say, I, I printed the manuscript that I have for today. It's right here. <laughs> I have no manuscript. But he, his word, can I just challenge us? Guys, can we eat the scroll like Ezekiel? Some of us today were like, gosh, I'm so hungry for encounter. But it's been so long since I've picked up the book. I'm telling you, this God has designed this book. He's, he's given us this book is the providence of God in our life. And he's like, I want to encounter you every single day in my word. So can you, can we just, and, and then ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we just come to you today. God, recognizing our own inability, our own, uh, our own deficits, our own weaknesses. And, and God, we, we thank you that you love us, even in our weakness, that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. You didn't leave us in that state of being, and you're not going to leave us in our current state of being, but you're transforming us. Glory unto glory and faith to faith. God, I ask you this week that you would stir us up in the spirit to read the word and to uh, encounter the living word in the spirit as we read, to pray the word, to be with you, God, to set aside time in our day and our life for encounter, that we wouldn't go for some visionary experience. Like Ezekiel, Lord, he was a priest. He, had, he was intimate with the word of God. He, he would have known your law. He would have known your ways. And then, God, he's in this place that the, the ritual had become real and he's experiencing you in the supernatural. God, may we not become uh, harlots of the supernatural where we chase after encounter without chasing after the truth of your word. God, I ask you that you'd revive us, that you'd give us vision, that you'd, you'd encounter us in your love, that we would obey the first commandment, and that you'd give us vision for our purpose, that we would live out the second commandment, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And God, give us the humility to turn to you and repent in areas of our lives that we need to repent. Show us, God, in places where we need to um, ask for forgiveness or speak a better word or just maybe in the middle of a conversation say, I'm, I'm not going to be able to talk about that today. That you just give us that kind of boldness, Lord, to cover each other. Your word says love covers a multitude of sin. And Lord, I just thank you that you're raising up a church. You're building up a temple. And we're going to see you, Jesus, in times of great trouble and in great harvest. Build your house. And we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.